Well, aren't you glad we serve a God like that? He can always do it again and again and again and again and again. I'm so glad that our God is so powerful and so big. He can always take care of his people. Thank you so much. And boy, I've enjoyed all the good music and singing again in our service this evening. I appreciate so much. And I know our church would want me to express their gratitude, your gratitude for all these good uh, people who come and sing for us and Miss Lisa who plays for us and our services here. And uh, what a blessing that always is. And God's always been good to us here at Woodland with good music and singing. And I praise the Lord for that. Well, if you have your Bible tonight, if you'll join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 2, Matthew chapter 2, page 994, if you have an old Schofield Bible, and I want to read some verses here. In fact, I'd like to read maybe just a little bit more than I normally do, if you'll bear with me for just a minute, and then we're to go back and I'll say just two or three things about, I'm sorry, about this text here uh, in our service this evening. Now, I do want to remind you again, 7 o'clock Wednesday night for our service, and then next Sunday, 10 o'clock for our drive-in service. We're looking forward to seeing you back again in our services here this coming Lord's Day. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, here's what the Word of God has to say. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open to this text here tonight. And, of course, there are other verses that I want to uh, look at around this text tonight as well. And I'm continuing the series of sermons that I started about a month ago uh, on the subject, Meeting the King, the Gospel of Matthew, Meeting the King. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now, I pray. And, Lord, thank you for good singing tonight. Thank you for the good reminders Lord, thank you for good music and good songs that stirs our heart and encourages us and challenges us and even convicts us. Thank you for good songs. Thank you for people who use their talent to bring glory and honor to you. Now I pray that you'd bless the Word of God and speak to our hearts tonight. And would you, for just a few minutes, Holy Spirit, would you breathe on us tonight? Would you help us in this service? And then speak to hearts, God, they're listening and homes or cars, radios, whatever the case may be. God, just help us from the Word of God, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, if you think back about a, a month or so ago, I told you that we were going to take a journey through the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel uh, of Matthew. And what I did back then, and I want to just kind of do tonight, is just once again, just kind of get your mind in gear since we hadn't been here uh, for a few weeks, to kind of imagine this little scenario. Suppose that one day you're sitting in your house and a knock comes upon your door. As you look out the window to see who it possibly could be, you notice sitting there in your driveway one of these long black stretch limousines about a half mile long sitting right there in your driveway. Now your first thought is, number one, somebody's lost. Or number two, at best, somebody needs some direction because uh, there's never been one of those kind of cars sitting in your driveway before. So you go to the door, you open the door to greet the person that's there, and there standing before you is somebody that is dressed in a manner that you know that something or something or someone of great importance is, is standing there and is going on. So as you greet the person, uh, this person informs you that a king is coming into your area. And in fact, this king is not only coming into your area, this king has chosen to stay at your home for a while with you. Now you think to yourself as all this is unfolding uh, and you're listening to it, you think to yourself, I don't know the king. Obviously, you know, what am I going to talk to about? What are we going to talk about? What do I say to this king? We have absolutely nothing in common. He's from the world of royalty. I am just a skip and a hop away from the world of poverty. What in the world are we going to talk about? We have absolutely nothing in common. So the man standing there at the door senses your apprehension, and he says this to you. Here's a book about this king. Now this book doesn't tell you everything about the king because there's no book large enough to tell you the entire story of the king, but this book will give you the basics of the king's life. This book will help you to get to know the king just a little bit better, and he hands you the book, and then he walks away. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that little imaginary story kind of brings us to the Gospel of Matthew because the Gospel of Matthew is just that. It is a book about the King, King Jesus, that is. The, the, the book of Matthew is the book of our Bible that presents to us the, the Lord Jesus as the King. And as I told you some time ago, Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew, the writer of this gospel, had met the king, but he was a man who formerly was actually hated by his very own nation. His nation viewed him. I'm talking about Matthew now. His nation, the people around him, his peers, his, his, uh, his friends, his family, they viewed him as a traitor to their country. You see, as the New Testament opens up, Israel is once again in bondage. This time they're not in bondage to the Babylonians or the Assyrians, but as the New Testament opens up, they're in bondage to the empire of Rome. Matthew, one of the very own citizens of the nation of Israel, has now gone to work for the empire of Rome. And, and by so doing, they view him now as a traitor. He has become a part of the enemy. But Matthew is not only a traitor because he works for Rome, but he's also a thief 
because uh, we know that these tax collectors, as Matthew was, was notorious for imposing more taxes upon the people than the Roman Empire did. For instance, Rome may say, okay, you, Mr. Smith, uh, you owe 50 shekels for your taxes this year to the Roman Empire. Matthew would come, knock on your door and say, according to our records, you owe the Roman Empire 100 shekels for your taxes this year. And he would take 50 of those shekels, he would pay Rome, he would stick the other 50 in his pocket. So he was a traitor and he was a thief. He was hated by the Jews but as much as he was hated by the Jews, he was loved all the more by Jesus. You see, one day old Matthew was sitting there at the tax collector's desk at the receipt of customs, and Jesus passed by. Boy, aren't you glad for the day when Jesus passed by? Boy, I'm glad as a 16-year-old teenager, Jesus passed by my way. And one day while Matthew was just sitting there going about the daily routine of his life, Jesus passed by. And we read this in Matthew chapter 9 verse number 9, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs, and he saith unto him, he said to Matthew, follow me. And he arose. Matthew arose and followed Jesus. You know, when Matthew got up from the table that day, literally, he gave three things to the Lord. First of all, when he left all that behind, we know number one, he gave his heart to Jesus. He followed Jesus at that very moment. And literally, when Matthew got up from the table and left all that and began following Jesus, here is what he was saying. Take my life, Lord, let it be. Holy consecrated to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Matthew opened his heart to Jesus. Boy, I'm glad I can tell you there was a day in my life when I opened my heart to Jesus. Yes, sir. And he made changes in my life. Yes, sir. Matthew opened his heart to Jesus, but then we find that Matthew opened his home to Jesus. You see, right after Matthew began following Jesus, Matthew had a big old supper over at his house, and he invited all of his notorious tax-collecting buddies and the and the and the the prostitutes and the harlots. That's the only kind of people he could be friends with. All the other people had ostracized him because they viewed him as a traitor and a thief. So he opened up his home for a supper in honor of the Lord Jesus. He invited all of his friends over, and the Word of God said they had a great big supper and a very festive and happy and joyous occasion. But I. I believe that Matthew invited all of his friends there for the purpose of introducing all of his friends to the Lord Jesus. In fact, we read about that. We read about that in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, verse number 15, where the Bible said that Jesus sat at meat in Matthew's house, and many publicans and sinners also sat also together, and Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. And then, did you notice this last phrase? The Bible said, and they, many of them, they believed believed on Jesus. Yes, sir. Matthew opened his heart to Jesus, but then Matthew opened his home to Jesus and introduced many of his friends to the Lord Jesus. Can I stop and say, boy, that ought to be true in our lives tonight. We still ought to be introducing to our friends the one who changed our life, the one who loved us when nobody else did, the one who did something for us that nobody else could do. We ought to be in the habit of introducing our 
friends to the Lord Jesus. So he opened his heart, he opened his home, but then number three, he opened his hand to Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we know as a tax collector that Matthew was good at keeping records. I mean, as being a tax collector, he had to keep up with who paid, who didn't pay, uh, who hadn't paid. He had to keep up with how much was owed, uh, how much had been paid, how much was still owed. He was, he was good at keeping records. And I can see old Matthew, as he began to walk with Jesus, as he began to follow Jesus, boy, he kept a manual. He kept a record of the life, of the miracles, of, of the messages, of the, of the moments of, of the Lord Jesus. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Matthew wrote a book about the king. And we call that book the Gospel of Matthew. Now we began two or three weeks ago, we began by looking back at chapter 1 and we talked a little bit back in chapter number 1 about the ancestry of the king, the ancestry of the king. You see, if Jesus is going to be the king, in, in, in the eyes of the Jewish people, he had to be able to prove uh, uh, a direct link to the kings of the nation of Israel. He had to be able to verify the fact that he was of a royal regal heritage. So Matthew takes Matthew chapter 1 and he introduces us to the Lord Jesus in his ancestry and he shows us how Jesus has every right to claim himself to be the king because he is of regal and royal descent. So we talked a little bit about the ancestry of the king. Over in Matthew, Matthew chapter number 3, we're going to talk a little bit about the adversary or the announcer of the king. In chapter 4, we're going to talk a little bit about the adversary of the king. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, we're going to talk a little bit about the address of the king, but tonight in chapter 2, I want to talk a little bit about the arrival of the king. You know, many times it's referred to as the advent of the king. Now, most of the time in our Baptist churches, for some reason, we don't talk about the advent, but I'll tell you what we do talk about, bless your heart. We talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I get it. I'm like you. I get it. This is May the 3rd what in the world am I reading from Matthew chapter number 2 on May the 3rd? Because we always equate these verses with the Christmas story. But I think you understand the Bible is not just good for one time of the year. The Bible is good all throughout the year. So tonight let's talk a little bit about the arrival or the advent of the king. So we have all the events. Now, of course, we got more in the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes more from a doctor's standpoint about how it all came to pass. But Matthew gives us a little bit more about the history of this story, how the arrival of the king came to be. And there are many stories that are woven together, woven together inside of the one larger story of the arrival of the king. For instance, we could talk a little bit back in chapter 1 about the man of the arrival. Now, of course, when I talk about the man, I'm talking about Joseph. What a special what a significant, but also what a silent part he plays in the story of the arrival of the king. Here he is. He's a spouse to, uh, to Mary. You know, Jewish, Jewish weddings were a little bit different from our Eastern weddings are because they, they kind of went through three stages where in our day, you know, normally a man just goes out, finds somebody, falls in love with, hey, hey let's get married. Yes, okay, let's do it. Go see the preacher or whoever and they get married. That's kind of how it works in our culture. But back in Middle Eastern culture in those days, it didn't work like that. There was an engagement period. That is most of the 
time the parents got together and arranged the marriage years before the children ever reached the state or the point of being married, there was an engagement period, oftentimes arranged by the parents. And then about a year before the actual marriage, there was a betrothal period. That is when the couple came together, got to know each other and, and spent time together, got to know each other. But then the marriage actually climaxed in the marital period, the marital ceremony, when the husband and the wife would actually come together in the husband and wife physical relationship. Now we come to understand back in Matthew chapter number one, they're just in that betrothal period. They're in that period of getting to know one another. And here goes Mary. She goes off to the hill country in Galilee and comes back and breaks the news to Joseph that she's expecting a baby. Now I want to tell you something. Bless your heart. I'd be tore out of the saddle if that was me. I mean, if my fiance went off for a little while, come back and said, look, I just want to tell you, I know we've never came together. We've never had any relationship. By the way, can I stop and say this? You still don't have relationships till you get married. You don't have an amen. I know this is the 21st century. I get all that stuff, but I still believe the Bible, don't you? And men and women ought to abstain from sexual relations until after they get married. God always intended for the sexual relationship to be carried on within the confines of the bed of marriage. Amen and amen. So here she comes back now and with the news. Man, Joseph, I got some news to tell you. I am expecting a child. Now, Joseph, is in a real dilemma. I'm talking about now what in the world is she's gone off, she comes back, here she's got this story. I mean, it's a wild story. She looks at Joseph and says, I just want to tell you, God did this. I'm telling you, Joseph was tore all to pieces and we read about the man of the story. But then we read about the messenger of the story because God dispatches, according to verse number 20, God dispatches an angel from heaven, a messenger from heaven that appears to Joseph in a dream says, okay, Joseph, one to tell you, everything's going to be all right. This is of God. And, and the chapter, chapter 1 ends with these words, and he knew her not. Joseph knew her not. They, even after they got married, Joseph didn't know her in a sexual manner until after the birth of Jesus. Now, I'll tell you something. After the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary came together in the natural husband and wife relationship because we know that Jesus had several half-brothers and half-sisters. We read about that in the Gospels. Mary did not stay a virgin for the rest of her life as the Catholics would have us to believe. She was married. She had children. She bore children unto Joseph, but he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. So we read about the man. We read about the messenger. But then we read over in chapter number 2 about the Magi because the Bible tells us that after Jesus was born, we read about some men who made a visit there to the city of Bethlehem to see the Lord Jesus. So we read about the man and the messenger. We read about the, uh, the, the magi in chapter 2. We read about the move, how that God warned Joseph, don't go back, take the child, flee into Egypt and be there till Herod is dead. Even after Herod dies, they come back and they dwell in the city of Nazareth and Jesus spends the boyhood years of his life there in the city of Nazareth. So there's the man, the messenger, the magi, the move. There's the massacre. We read about this at the end of chapter 2 how Herod goes on this murderous rampage and has all the babies from two-year-old and under in the city of Bethlehem 
He has them destroyed. We read about all that, but I'm not talking about the man. I'm not talking about the messenger. I don't want to even focus tonight much on the magi. I don't want to talk about the move. I don't want to talk about the massacre. I want to talk about the miracle tonight. Because there in chapter 2, verse number 1, we read this, when Jesus was born. What a miracle. Yes, sir, God had left heaven and come to the earth in the form of a little baby. I know every Christmas, every Christmas I, I make this same statement, but I, I memorized this years ago, and to this very day it still works in my heart. John Phillips, in his book on the Gospel of John, chapter 1, made this statement. The miracle of the manger was that God was able to transform deity into dust without discarding the deity or damaging the dust. i got to say that one more time. Amen and amen. That's what Christmas was. God transformed deity into dust, deity into humanity. Yet, He did not discard the deity and He did not damage the dust. The miracle, the arrival of the king. What I want to do tonight in Matthew chapter 2, if you'll bear with me for just a moment, I want to show you more importantly in this text tonight the three responses to the arrival of the king. Now we read about three different classes of people here in Matthew chapter number 2 and how they reacted or how they responded to the, to the arrival of the king. Now, I get it in our day. I know that the, uh, the, uh, the, the names have now changed and the faces have changed. But the one thing we're going to see in our text tonight is still pretty much people respond to the arrival of the king pretty much the same way that they did the very day when Jesus was born. So I want to do tonight, if you'll look here in Matthew chapter number 2, I want to talk a little bit about Herod. I want to talk a little bit about these scribes and these priests. And I want to talk a little bit about these wise men and how they responded to the arrival of the king. Now let's notice, first of all, notice if you will there in verse number 1, we read about this man by the name of Herod. So I want to say number 1, as far as the arrival of the king goes, number 1, we find one who was furious. One who was furious. You see, the Bible says that when Herod heard about the birth of of the king. The Bible said there in verse number three that Herod the king, when he heard these things, he was troubled. And I looked up the word troubled, and the word means to be agitated. He was troubled. He was agitated. He was, uh, he was furious about the news of the arrival of the king. Now, I got to tell you something. This man, Herod, they called him Herod the Great. But can I tell you something? He ought to have been called Herod the Murderer. Because when you read the history, the story of this man's life, I'm going to tell you something. This guy was insanely jealous. And this guy, I mean, he was a murderer. To him, people dying was a form of entertainment. I mean, really. He got his kicks off watching people die. For instance, he killed, he killed his own wife, had her killed. He killed his own sons. Anybody that he thought was a rival to his throne, his position, or his power, he'd have them killed or do it himself. Somebody said this about old Herod. They had rather be Herod's swine than to be Herod's son. 
because he was such a murderous, he was such a cold, calculating, and indifferent kind of a man. I'm telling you, he was a rascal. He really was. And the news about the arrival of the king agitated him. It troubled him. It made him angry. You know why? Because Jesus was the king. You see, Jesus came not just to be the Savior Jesus came also to be the sovereign. Jesus just didn't come to, to redeem. Jesus came to rule. Jesus didn't just come for a cross for his back. Jesus came for a crown for his head. Now, I got to tell you that most people like Herod, they don't mind the story of the, of the, of the little baby lying in a manger. They adore that picture of Jesus. But when that little baby steps out of that manger and looks you and me in the eye and says this, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? Can I tell you something? That gets people's dander up just a little bit. That makes people like Herod. It makes them agitated. It makes them furious. When the Lord looks at you and me and starts making demands of our life, when he looks at you and me and says, why don't you take up your cross daily and come on and follow me? Oh yeah, people don't mind the story of a little baby like in a manger, but when that little baby steps out of that manger and looks at humanity and says, okay, you need to repent of your sins and give me the reins of your life. People don't like that kind of a story tonight. They don't mind singing Silent Night, but they are aghast if it comes to singing, all to Jesus I surrender. They love a little baby but a sovereign who says, if I'm your king, you can't be the king. They have problems with that. Most people want a religion that says something like this, Jesus, keep me out of hell, but stay out of my life. Can I have an amen? That's the kind of religion that most people want in our world today. Jesus I don't want to die and go to hell. But Jesus, don't you tell me what I can and cannot do. You sit up there in heaven and take care of things up there. I'll live down here on earth and take care of things here. And as far as I'm concerned, you can stay out of my life. But I want to tell you, Jesus will either be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. Oh no, they don't mind a baby in a manger, but a king with a crown, a crown and a scepter in his hand telling us we've got to do this and we cannot do that. Like Herod, it infuriates him. He was so full of rage and anger. He was so furious about the news of the arrival of the king that he had all the babies in Bethlehem killed from two years old and under. He ordered a massacre because he was furious over the arrival of the king. Our world don't want Jesus as a king. I think that's clearly obvious in the world that we're living in today. Oh, they want to, they want to, uh, they want to give him uh, the accolades of being a good man, a, a philanthropist. They, they want to uh, uh, give him the accolades of being a teacher and a rabbi and a good person, but king... 
No, that's going too far. When that Jesus begins to say to you and to me, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, people say, I've drawn the line. That's as far as I am going. Jesus, keep me out of hell, but stay out of my life. Friend, I'm here to tell you, it just don't work like that. He's not that kind of a king. Amen. Some won at the arrival of the king, won was furious, furious. And we find that still true in our day. People are still furious when it comes to the person of the Lord Jesus. Talk about anything, do anything, live any way, but don't try to force your religion down our throats. Friend, I'm here to tell you, there's going to come a day when this world wished they had to recognize who Jesus really is. Amen. One was furious. But then we move again into this text and we see that not only one was furious over the arrival of the king, but next we see that many were oblivious to the arrival of the king. Now I'm speaking now about these scribes and these Pharisees. You see the Bible said these, these scribes and the, and, the, and the prophets here, the priests. You see when Herod in verse number 3 heard about the arrival of the king, when these, these wise men came and went directly to Jerusalem, uh, they asked, hey, there's a king been born around here somebody, uh, somewhere. Does anybody, does anybody know anything about this? They were directed to the king. So they approached the king about this. They asked the king about another king that's been born. Oh, he's furious about it. So what he does then in verse number 4 he gets together all the religious people in Jerusalem. So it says verse 4, He gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, and he demanded of them where Christ should be born. In other words, he said, Hey, I've heard about the arrival of a king around here. Hey, guys, I want to ask you all, do you know anything about this? So he calls the priest. Notice now in the scribes, these priests, they were God's representatives. These priests represented God to people. And these priests represented people to God. They were God's representative. They, uh, they, they constantly were there around the temple. These priests for years had bloodied their hands with the sacrifices of the animals and whose blood would make an atonement for the sins of the people, the priests, and then the scribes. These scribes were the biblical scholars of that day. They studied the Old Testament. They looked at the predictions and the prophecies and, and the promises regarding the coming of the king. So Herod calls this crowd together knowing, you know, they'll know the answer to the question. And they do. When he says, where is he that's been born king? Verse number five, they said, oh, we know exactly where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in verse number five in Bethlehem of Judea. And they reach back some uh, 700 years before into the prophecy of an Old Testament prophet by the name of Micah. And they, they, they quote a prophecy from an Old Testament pr a prophet predicting the exact place where the king would arrive. Verse number six. But now here is the thing that gets me about this crowd. Having heard about the arrival of the king, the advent of the king, one would think, knowing the scripture as they know, and the prophecies and the predictions and promises as they know, one would think they would tear off 
as quickly as they got out of this meeting, they would tear off down to Bethlehem to see if it in fact were true that a king, the king, had arrived. You would think there would be something on the inside of them that would stir them, stir their heart to the point that they would have to go out and find out for themselves. But as far as the record of the Scripture is concerned, I mean, they did nothing. Oh yeah, they gave the king the answer that he was looking for. But according to the Bible, not one of them left the palace that night. Not one of them tore off and went to the city of Bethlehem to see if in fact the king had been born. They were indifferent. They were cold and unconcerned to the whole matter. To me, really, that's the greater tragedy. While there are always those who are going to be furious about the demands of the king, there will always be those who are agitated who are upset, who, who don't want Jesus to rule and reign over their lives. What bothers me more is those who know the story. Those who are familiar with the significance of what happened, and yet they remain indifferent to it all. Oh yeah, they got the facts right, but they have no faith. I mean, to them, it's, uh, their heads were full of knowledge, but their hearts were as empty as last year's bird's nest. They knew the where, but they didn't know anything about the who. There are a lot of people in our world today who know all about the story of the king. They know the details of the story. The problem is they just don't know the king. You know, I'm afraid our churches are full of people like these priests and these scribes. I mean, brother, they have a head knowledge, but they have no heart knowledge. They know the Bible, they know the story, and yet they never have opened their heart to the king that arrived, that was born here on this earth. They're oblivious to it all. So we find in the record of our text tonight that one was furious. We find that many were oblivious. But then in closing tonight, if you look in this text, we find that there were a few who were curious. They were curious about the arrival of the king. Now, you got to love, I'm talking about these, these wise men now, but you got to love how they responded to the news of the arrival of the king. For the Bible said that they came from the east, no telling how many years they've been traveling on this destination to get to where the king had been born. But they were on a mission. And they were on a mission with a question. And their question, verse number two. First question of our New Testament. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? First question of the Old Testament. Adam, where art thou? First question of the New Testament. Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Aren't you glad God sent a king? God sent a Savior to take care of the sin of Adam and the sin of all the descendants of Adam from that time to this very day. God sent a king. God sent a Savior to take care of the sins of lost humanity. The Bible said that they came seeking the king. And by the way, there's a good verse in the Old Testament that says this, If you seek him, he will be found of you. 
They came looking for Him. They came seeking. They were curious about the whole notion of the arrival of a king. They were, they were, they were in, interested in that fact. They were interested in finding out more about this king. And don't you know there was a God in heaven who had all the answers for them because they were curiously seeking the king. Can I say this, and I'm done tonight, but can I say this? They were motivated. They were motivated by a star motivated by a star. Now, most people think that these magi, they were, they, were, uh, they were astronomers. Now, not astrologers. They were astronomers. They were people who studied the stars. And one night, I don't know if they had telescopes, whatever, however they looked at, at, the, at the stars, however they considered the alignment. You know, people have always been fascinated by the alignment of the stars and the appearance of a new comet or the appearance of a new galaxy or whatever. I know around our house, we get a little bit excited about the spaceship when they talk about, oh, if you'll look this direction, if you'll watch this, and we'll go out there at night sometime, we'll try to see where that spaceship... You know, we've always been fascinated with space and stars and planets like that, and there are people who study those things, not astrologers. Listen, we, we don't, we're God's people. We don't buy into that garbage. Amen. Psychics aren't prophetic, they're pathetic. We don't start our day off reading our uh, horoscope. We call that horoscope. No, sir. We start off reading our Bibles every day. Amen. Everything about your future you need to know is right here in the 66 books of this King James Bible right here. Amen. We don't depend on astrology, but these were astronomers. They studied the stars. And one night, I mean to their surprise, somewhere up there, a new star appeared which signified something great. There was a, 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 a something of great significance had taken place. Aren't you glad that God can speak to you where you are if you're curiously seeking the king. Aren't you glad that God knows who you are? God knows the intent of your heart and God can speak to you right where you are. Boy, I'm glad we serve a God like that. You see, to the architect, Jesus is the great foundation. To the baker, Jesus is the bread of life. To the carpenter, he is the chief cornerstone. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the botanist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To the physician, he's the great physician. To the teacher, he's the master teacher. To the astronomer, he's the bright and the morning star. No matter where you're at in this walk of life, I'm glad God can speak to you if you're seeking the king. God's got answers for you today. By the way, if you're seeking the king, it's already because the king has been seeking you. Amen. Aren't you glad he come looking for you one day? They were motivated by a star. Can I say this? They were aggravated by, by a scoundrel. Oh, Herod got in their way of them trying to find out the news about the king. You know, there's always going to be those Herods who's going to try to get in your way if you're trying to find out the news about the king. There are always those old wicked Herods who are going to be trying to hinder you from finding out about the king. Well, I tell you, sometimes those scoundrels sit in churches and they live one way in church and go out in the world and live another way. They're hindering you from coming to the king. How many times have you and I talked to people and those people respond by saying something like this, well, I know so-and-so and he goes to your church over there and let me just tell you, the way he lives, the way he talks, the thing he does, I'm telling you, if he's saved, don't worry about me, preacher. I'm all right. Can I tell you something? He's a scoundrel. That's what he is. He's trying like O'Hare to hinder you from coming to the king. They were motivated by a star. 
bar. They were aggravated by a scoundrel, but thank God they were educated by Scripture. God had a word for these boys, and the Word of God said eventually they found what they were looking for. They found him that was born king of the Jews. Amen. They came to where he was. And by the way, when they did, they brought him some gifts. Amen. If you love Jesus, you'll bring him some gifts. They brought him gold. Gold was the, the emblem of a king signifying he would rule. They brought him frankincense. That represent, frankincense was a, a priestly uh, ointment, a priestly spice that they used on sacrifices. That the gold said he would rule, the frankincense said he would represent. But then there's that myrrh. Can you just imagine? You know what? You say they brought him myrrh. Can I tell you what that would be like in our day? That'd be like us having a baby shower right back here in the cafeteria and one of our ladies come dragging in a funeral crepe to a baby shower. A shroud for the baby to wear in the coffin. Who in the world would do that. But these wise men understood that God had somehow revealed to him that he not only came to rule and he not only came to represent, but he came to redeem. And thank God that king lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, shed his precious blood so that you and I could know him as our king and as our savior. Oh, I'm glad tonight to tell you we've read about his ancestry but tonight we consider the arrival of the king. Do you know the king tonight? Have you ever received him as your savior? Or better yet, can I ask you this? Don't, don't be mad at me here, but can I ask you a question? If you're living like hell, what makes you so sure when you die you're going to go to heaven? Do you know the king? If you don't know him tonight, I want to tell you the whole purpose he came was he came for people just like you and just like me. And I want to encourage you tonight, please, please open your heart, just like Matthew, just like Brother Tim did, just like these men, these ladies here have done. May God help us to open our heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.